I'm Jody Nisnik, and you're listening to So Much More. In John 16, 12, Jesus stated, there is so much more I want to tell you. He then pointed to the spirit as the one who would come, who would further his teaching by bringing his word to life for us. So much more creates space for God to reveal his truth through his word. Today, I'm excited to have Nancy Beach and Samantha Kiley with me as we have a conversation about the church and their new book, which is called Next Sunday, an honest dialogue about the future of the church. Nancy serves as a leadership coach with the Slingshot Group, and she's on the teaching team at Soul City Church in downtown Chicago. Previously, Nancy served as the programming director at Willow Creek Community Church in suburban Chicago, and she's also the author of An Hour on Sunday and Gifted to Lead. Nancy and her husband, Warren, have two adult daughters, Samantha and Johanna. Samantha, one of those daughters, is a writer and performer and an associate pastor at a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Samantha's creative work has appeared in theaters, churches, and nonprofit spaces, and she's taught at Northwestern's National High School Institute and Rocky Mountain Repertory Theater, which she is a co-educational director with her husband, Will, there. So welcome, Nancy and Samantha. It's so great to have you guys on the podcast today. Thanks, Jody. We're happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Well, before we dive in, I just want to remind everyone that we are in a series where we're exploring different spiritual disciplines, which are simply different ways that we can participate with God in our spiritual formation. And today we're going to talk about the church and the important role that the local church has in our formation as followers of Jesus. So I also want to encourage everyone to go listen to the companion podcast where we meditated on and contemplated Acts 2, 42 through 47 which is a passage that gives us a beautiful glimpse into the first church and how they functioned, which was in a sacrificial, loving, committed way as they learned together in community. Now, these are obviously things the church should still aspire to today. And if you've been part of a church for any length of time, you know that we don't always hit this target, (laughs) which brings me to wanting to talk to both of you about Why did you decide to write this book and why was it important for you to do it together? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I always call myself a reluctant writer, so I'm not (laughs) a kind of person who wants to write a whole bunch of books in my life. But I was asked in 2019 uh, to speak to some Christian publishers about the future of the church. And I thought that was a really daunting uh, question and gave it a lot of thought and prayer and gave a little message there. And some of them said, would you ever want to write about this? And I really wasn't too excited until I was talking with Samantha one day and she said, well, maybe we could do something together. And that got my interest. So we decided to have, and of course we don't represent our entire generation, but we decided (laughs) to have the point of view of a baby boomer mom and her millennial daughter and kind of take a look to each of us at some distinctives that we think are so important for the future of the church. I love that. And so Samantha, how was it writing a book with your mom? It was really meaningful. Um, I think we probably 
thought we would disagree more than we did. I mean, I think it was neat to discover how each other has grown and evolved in some of the things we talk about through our writing and then mm-hmm. to have conversations about that. So it was really special that we got to do it together. Yeah. And I love how you did it too, because you both, it is a conversation and it'll be Nancy and you talk about your part and then Samantha and you talk about your part and you're both excellent writers. So it was enjoyable to read, but I appreciated getting to hear the different perspectives, knowing who was talking to me. So I thought that was really helpful. Um, I'd love to know, as we talk about church being a part, a spiritual discipline or a part of our spiritual formation, tell me what you think makes the church an essential part of our relationship with the Lord. You know, all the spiritual practices that you probably have been talking about with your listeners, um, almost all of them can be done alone. You know, we can pray alone and we can sing alone and we can confess sins alone and all of that. But there's something very different, I believe, fundamentally different about coming together with other followers of Jesus to do those things. And I think we were created to be connected to one Mm -hmm. another, to be in community. And it's pretty clear in the New Testament that, um, you know, Jesus has a thing about the church. (laughs) He he really uh, loves it. He calls it his bride. And uh, you're right, Jody. We mess it up much of the time. Uh, I've never ever been to a perfect church, and I've been a part of a lot of mistakes in church. But at the same time, I've had some of my most rich, uh, joyous, meaningful, transformative moments uh, in church as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's easy to write it off. And these days, I think there's an independent streak with the pandemic, especially that's stronger than ever. That just says, let's just stay home and hide and isolate ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think we have to really fight against that because I do believe it's more than worth it when we show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is something that was really good in the beginning of transitioning at the beginning of the pandemic to church on the sofa in our jammies with our coffee. Like that there was, I was so grateful that it was still there. And yet now that we can gather again together it feels like there's all these other hurdles now, emotional and mental to, to climb over, to actually show up in that space together in community. Um, Samantha, what would you add to uh, what your mom has said? Well, I agree with what she said. And I think, you know, when we um, experience and express our faith independently, we're in danger of of forming a God and a faith that, that really just looks a lot like us and is only dependent on Mm -hmm. our narrow lens through which we see the world. And, you know, God tells us that we're all image bearers. And I think it's when we come together with a diversity of perspectives that we see more sides of who God is, and we're challenged to include other people's experiences as we figure out what it means to um, become more Christ-like. And so I don't know that it's something we can accomplish on our own. I think you're absolutely right. Okay. So Nancy, in the book that you say, and I'm going to quote you, (laughs) uh, while I have no crystal ball to forecast the future, which um, as an aside, I'm actually disappointed in because we could really (laughs) use some forecasting of the future, right? Um, But you say, while I have no crystal ball to forecast the future, I do believe that the gathering as we know it will die if it's only about the delivery of content. Um, which you've already talked a little bit about because it is, you know, we can consume content 
through our earbuds and uh, we can listen to the greatest preachers all over the world. Um, so, but unpack that and tell me what, what then does the church need to do for it to survive and move into the future? Well, I have nothing against the digital dimension. Um, I, in fact, I think during the pandemic, it was obviously a huge gift to people to be able to be connected that way. Um, however, as you mentioned, when you can at your fingertips, choose what worship you'd like to be a part of somewhere or what teacher you want to hear. Um, it sort of plays into, I think, some of the worst of our consumerist uh, tendencies any, anyway, and, uh, and, and our ability to sort of distance ourselves, to just kind of be observers or watchers, which is very different from showing up physically uh, in community. So I, I guess my question would be, what would cause someone to get in the car or ride their bike or whatever to a gathering if the only purpose is to listen to a message and, and sing a couple songs, I, I don't think that's going to motivate anyone uh, very much. Um, so that's why we try to describe the other parts of the texture of the experience that are different when you're physically in a room together. And uh, I, I have had moments in church of silence that has been deeply meaningful among others, moments of prayer, um, moments when maybe people were. Um, quoting a scripture or uh, shouting something uh, of praise that I didn't really feel at the time, but it helped me to almost access Mm. their faith, you know, in that moment. Um, And even uh, the conversations, however brief, I went to church alone recently. My husband uh, wasn't with me. And on the way, I I threw up a quick little prayer and I said, um, God, normally I walk in and I walk out. And if there's anybody that you want me to connect with or anybody that I see who's alone, and my church has a lot of single people, a lot of people who show up by themselves, um, just help me to pay attention and be aware. And I was a little early, so I was out in the lobby and a young woman that I hadn't seen for a very long time who's been going through some really serious physical challenges of late walked by and I just knew we were supposed to have a conversation and Mm. that made my whole day, you know, that, that we connected, which would not have happened otherwise. So I I really believe we have to ask the question, what is going to um, augment the content? I mean, the there's nothing wrong with the content, but it's not enough in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Samantha, what would you add to that? Yeah, I someone said the other day, put it so beautifully that like I think we start off going to church looking for what we are going to receive, and then at some point as we mature in faith, we recognize that we are also giving through the act of going. We ourselves are the gift, like in the exchange my mom just described, and and then at some point I think with love it gets really blurry, and there's really no distinction between who's giving and who's receiving. But we know that it's our being there that makes it, and so. It's not just in the design of the service, those of us who are behind the scenes going, how can we facilitate an experience that you could you had to have in 3D? But I think it's also for those of us showing up, um, it does cost us more. But there's greater payoff when we come forward with uh, John O'Donoghue calls it the reverence of approach, that we that we actually take the time to prepare our spirit and our bodies and show up. Um, because it costs us a little more, I think um, we we're more present and receptive to whatever might unfold. Um, I notice when I engage online, 
how distractible I am, um, how easy it is to multitask and zone out. And I don't always feel like the sacraments are for me. And um, so I, I agree. I think there's just a texture that happens when we gather together that um, is hard to recreate at home. Yeah, I think there's something so beautiful about that human connection, the way, and, and God made us for that, right? Remembering that God is our a triune God in relationship and he's created us to be in relationship. And I think to just do that behind a screen really just, it, it severs some of the beauty that we need to just actually look another human being in the eyes and here, whether we're sitting shoulder to shoulder and hearing the same message at the same time and experiencing the same things, there's something beautiful and connecting about that. Or like you said, the conversations that we get to just happen to have because we were present um, in in a space. Yeah, it's just been very meaningful to me to be back in a space with people and um, not just online. Well, you know, something interesting that dawned on me as we've been sitting here in this conversation is something very unique about the three of us is we have all served in pastoral ministry. So we all deeply love the church and we're all women, which is another unique thing. I don't know if I've been on a call like this and we're, you know, we're spanning different generations, but we all deeply love the church and we love working in the church um, and have been called to that as a vocation in many ways. So obviously chapter five meant a lot to me. And that was all about men and women working together to lead the local church. And as an aside, I actually was reading this on a plane and I started crying after I read this chapter and I felt so bad for the person sitting next to me. They just kind of were looking at me like, is she okay? (laughs) But it just, it touched me so deeply to hear you both talk about your experiences, and I want to get to both of those, um, and and how much I resonated with them as a woman and as somebody who deeply loves the church and as someone who is grieved over how we haven't done this well, particularly in the arena of men and women working together to lead the church. So Nancy, you talk about um, your experience as a woman leading in a mega church, preaching in front of thousands of people and, um, and the beauty in that, but then also from your very personal experience of how that didn't go well, as you witnessed the abuse of power, um, and you actually had to step forward and call that out. So, you know, as we continue to hear stories about church leaders and in particular men who have abused their power, I'd love to know from your perspective, why do you think that keeps happening? Oh, I don't know. It's, it just grieves me. I know it grieves all of us um, whenever we hear these stories. And I, I can only say that uh, I think the uh, kind of celebrity culture that we've created, even in smaller churches is not helping. That's, that's one issue. I also think that we haven't paid enough attention to true spiritual formation. Um, really all of us. But what happens um, for some leaders when they're leading it, particularly a church that's growing quickly and that it has so much demands on their time, is that the soul care that really needs to happen um, isn't happening, at least not in the way uh, it needs to. So I, I think obviously those things contribute. 
Um, but my huge concern is, and I, I think I talk about this in that chapter, is that um, be, when we hear about moral failures, our our obvious reaction often is fear. And it, it's mm-hmm. thinking, okay, if men and women work closely together, that's going to happen. So then we start to say, what are we going to do? We're going to have to make more rules and we're going to have to separate them and keep women away from the leadership tables um, and and really go backwards, in my opinion, to a place where um, we're very separate. And I, I don't think that is the answer. I know I understand it. I get where it comes from, but I, I don't believe it's it's the way that we can build the body of Christ the way it was intended. I think we need to learn how to be brothers and sisters to one another, um, how to respect and love one another, how to um, create appropriate boundaries without making so many rules that women can't even possibly lead or function. Um, that's a fine line um, to figure out how to do that. But I believe it can be done. And I, I have hope because on the team that I led, um, we, we became family and it was half men, half women. Uh, years later, we're not working together anymore, but we are still like family and we, mm-hmm. we care for one another so deeply. So I do believe it's possible. Um, but it's, it's, uh, harder and harder to convince some people that it's worth fighting for. Yeah, I, I do see that um, potential kind of knee jerk reaction of, well, the solution is we just have all male leadership. Mm-hmm. And the the thing that grieves me about that, well, first of all, is the loss of the women that God has gifted to lead and has given gifts specifically for the local church, that that is lost. But also just we stop seeing, I think, like you said, we stop seeing each other as co-image bearers. We stop seeing each other as sisters and brothers and as humans. And so we lose trust in one another. Mm-hmm. And that that really breaks my heart. Well, for lots of reasons. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I mean, the the spiritual formation piece is just, if we were really deeply rooting ourselves in God and in and becoming more and more like him, I feel like these things would just not happen. It's the enemy is just such an opportunist and yeah. He takes advantage of everything he can, which unfortunately then damages the church and the reputation of the church. And mm-hmm. Samantha, I'm curious from your perspective, you know, cause you saw your mom lead in this capacity and even preach. And you talk about that a little bit in the book. And then you also saw her step out and call out some abusive behavior. And that didn't go very well for quite a while. So I'm curious, how did that shape you as a follower of Jesus? And even how did that shape your journey with the church? Yeah, well, I was grateful to grow up with an example. It was very normal for me to see women on stage and leading at the highest levels. And I thought that was um, how church was. And it wasn't until I left and went to college that I realized that was an aberration and not, in fact, the norm. Um, So it really does have an impact on young women to see that from an early age. Um, of course I was devastated when I learned about what I hadn't seen, um, and what had gone on at our church and what it felt like for women to be in that culture. And 
I think it was an easy moment where if, if my mom and the other women hadn't um, felt it was important enough to come forward and say, this isn't who Jesus is, this isn't what the church is meant to be, um, it would have been really easy for me to walk away and be kind of over the whole thing. But it was because of their courage and all that they risked to come forward that I think that marked me so deeply to go, yeah, that this isn't right. And we're not going to have, you know, uh, foolproof systems, but we sure can create churches that do not tolerate this kind of behavior. And I want to be part of um, making sure that that's true. And the world is watching. And actually what it marked my friends too, who were not believers because they saw that as other institutions are going through their own reckoning and we're starting to listen to voices we have historically silenced, the church is part of that too. And the church needs to be in the game and having those conversations. And so, you know, they were criticized for bringing, uh, you know, shame on the church and this bad view of it. And I actually think like, gosh, we want to be known as a place that, that doesn't tolerate this where mm-hmm. people stop when, when evil is, you know, going unchecked. And so, so that marked me and made me want to be part of those churches in the future and, and um, part of fighting for those who, um, who've been silenced. Mm-hmm. You know, you shared a really beautiful uh, letter from your pastor at the time, Jason Morris, and it's a couple pages long in the book. And it's really his acknowledgement that the church hasn't done this well. This is actually where I cried on the plane. <laughs> it's, it, it just, it is, it's beautiful. And it's just, it feels like the Holy Spirit's fingerprints are all over it. So give, give us a broad overview, just in general, what does that say? And, and then what was it like for you to hear that spoken over you for the first time? Yeah. So he was in a series on the isms that the church has been complicit in and sexism was one of the very early themes that he touched on. And Jason did a lot of listening to women in our church that week about what the specific I think one of the beautiful parts of this letter is its specificity. And he did a lot of listening to make sure that his apology was specific. And of course, he's not the one who's perpetrated all of these um, harms that women have experienced, but the letter just goes through and names. And as a male figure, authority figure in the church, um, it was, he, he names a lot of the things that women have experienced everything from, you know, yes, not being permitted to lead at the highest level, but also just um, the ways that men would, you know, sometimes uh, talk over them in meetings or um, take credit for their work, or actually they were running the place and they weren't, you know, and, and men were actually the ones who held the title or whatever it was. And so he, he names all of these things and apologizes for them that women have run into in church settings. And um, it, I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the house that day because uh, all these women and men too, who've watched it happen, who've been part of a culture that's made it easy to behave that way, um, were just so marked by someone naming it. And it, it's a lesson to me. And so it was deeply moving to sit there and hear it. And even though he wasn't, again, the one who had, and, and he owns, yes, at times he's done these things too, but um, to hear someone say it as a kind of a symbol was really deeply meaningful and taught me how powerful it can be to just simply name things mm. in church. I don't always do that well. And um, so it was really meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I appreciate that he even gave you the ability to put those words even 
further yeah. into public because they were meaningful to me, you know, and I, I've never met him before and I wasn't sitting there. Yeah. So I yeah. still got the, the benefit of hearing it named and, and articulate. Yeah. And I was like, yes, I'm not sure I could have articulated all of those things um, or nor did all of them apply. Um, and that wasn't the point either, sure. but um, there were a few things that I just, that really touched something very deeply. And there was, there is healing in naming, there's yeah. healing in saying, you know what, while I didn't do that specifically, I see it. And, and I want yeah. us as a community to do these things better. Um, you know, and I would yeah. say all three of us, you know, we have been invited into places of leadership that a lot of women really haven't even been invited into. Um, and so perhaps it's even confusing to hear somebody hear me say, Oh, that was so deeply touching to me because I've still experienced some of those things because they've only seen from the outside what I have been invited into. And they're like, yeah, but you've gotten to do all these things. Well, yes. And there's still been a lot of pain in those things. So yeah, it was just really well-written and well-said. I think that's partly why some people have been so surprised about some of the stories, because some of the stories have been from egalitarian churches which hold yeah. that women can have, you know, any role in the church. Um, but the actual experience can be a little different, no matter what the theology might be, the day-to-day experience can still be difficult at times. That's true. That's good. So I would love to know, you know, I imagine that anyone listening, there's a lot of people that have been wounded by the church or really disappointed in their experience of the church. And so What's some encouragement that you would have um, for those people, men or women? I wish the statistics weren't so bad, but I've seen some studies of how many people have known some kind of church pain, and and it's uh, astonishing, really. All different kinds of church pain, but it makes you wonder how the church has survived (laughs) at all. You know, Um, I I guess my encouragement would be, first of all, um, you aren't alone. And processing it with someone is going to be very important, whether it's a close friend or a counselor, um, someone that you can do this naming with and say, this is how, this is how I was hurt. Um, but then I think the question next is, so do we, do we just give up and run away, which is very easy and I understand it. Um, or do we say maybe and it may or may not be the community in which you were most deeply hurt, but maybe I can re-enter a community of faith, come in with the expectation that there will still be issues at every church, but come in with the desire to do my part to see if I can, first of all, experience some healing, but then also help create a healthy place. And every one of us, when we show up at church, whether we're on staff or a volunteer or you know an, an attender, we contribute to the culture of that place and we either help it to become more loving and more like Jesus and more kind and hospitable and inclusive and gracious and just, um, or, uh, you know, we, it's not neutral. Mm. We, we actually contribute to creating a culture, but my encouragement would really be to do the work you need to do of grieving and lament, however long that takes you. Um, but then ask God for the courage and the resilience to say, I'm going to try again. That's good. Those are good words. Thank you for saying that. 
Samantha, what about you? What would be your encouragement? Well, to, to folks whom the church has sent a message that something about who they are, their identity is fundamentally broken, I would just say you don't have to stay in that church. I mean, I, there are churches that will love and embrace all kinds of people, whether this is across issues of race or sexuality or gender. Um, find a community, but you don't have to stay somewhere that's that's wounding you. And and I'm sorry that the, there are places that are yeah. causing that kind of pain. And I would encourage folks after a time of stepping away, as my mom said, to to seek out a, a community that you could risk it on. And there's places where you resources now where you can help figure out where that might be online. But um, I, I'm working through Brian McLaren's newest book, Do I Stay Christian? And his comment that has stuck with me is that this is, when we think about the history of the world, Christianity is still relatively in its infancy. This is actually still an experiment. And so his question is why, how could I give up? It's like giving up on a baby who hasn't totally learned how to walk yet. And so um, I wonder if we might um, keep trying. We all agree it can improve and we all agree it doesn't look perfectly like Jesus yet. Um, So can we be part of making it the kind of place that we'd be proud to be part of and that we think really reflects God's love? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love both of your encouragement that we actually do get to impact the church. So stepping away for a season may be the right thing to do and maybe mm-hmm. healing, um, but stepping away and not coming back not only damages us, but it actually damages the church because we are needed. As as followers of Jesus, we are needed to be a part of that community. And I don't talk about it a lot on the podcast, but since I've stepped away from being on the pastoral team at my church over a year ago, it's been a healing journey of just asking the Lord to help me kind of process some things and really decide what's next, what kind of community should we be a part of? And uh, so I just want to say to anyone that's listening, if you are in a place where the church has been wounding to you, and I'm guessing, like you said, Nancy, there it's just the statistics are not in our favor here. But if you are in that place and you are looking to figure out next steps, send me an email and, and let's, let me pray with you and for you about that. And as always, I would keep that in confidence, of of course, but I do want to be a resource to anyone that's listening for that. Well, this has just been a really great conversation. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for putting yourselves out there. And um, I know that was not an easy book to write. Um, I hear you, Nancy, being a reluctant author. So thank you for for doing that hard work. Really appreciate it from both of you. Thanks, Joni. Thank you. Thanks for making space for this conversation. Mm -hmm. Hey, I also really do want to encourage you guys to get a copy of the book. It's called Next Sunday, An Honest Dialogue About the Future of the Church. And it really was honest and helpful and healing for me as I read it. So Um, I want to encourage you to do that. There's actually two ways that you can grab the book. One is that um, the publisher has graciously given us a discount code. So you'll find that in the show notes. Use that and uh, grab a copy of the book. But also I'm excited to let you know that I have a copy to give away and you can find out all the details in the show notes and also on my Instagram and Facebook because I would love to get that in your hands. Well, thanks again, Nancy and Samantha for being here. And I also want to thank you all for joining me. 
on so much more because we really do believe Jesus has so much more to say to us. And this is one way we're creating space to listen. Jesus wants our fears to launch us toward faith. Then he grins and says, do you trust me? Because together we can do this. With Mornings with Jesus, you can start your day in a positive way. Find hope through inspirational stories and scripture. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Mornings with Jesus. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com.